Today, I have a serious subject that we're going to talk about. I really hope that you stick around for the entire podcast. I know some of you like to jump around in the podcast to get to certain bits, but seriously, there are so many good things in this podcast that you really need to listen to the whole thing. Today, we're going to talk about mental health. I know it's not a sexy subject to talk about, but seriously, we need to have discussions. You know that I'm not a big fan of politicians coming in and solving things because, well, they don't. They make things worse. We need to come together as an industry, not even just as an industry, but as, you know, human beings and help people out. I have Sarah Joy Albrecht from Hold My Guns. We're going to talk about mental health and the mission of Hold My Guns. She's got some great information here. She had me thinking about some things because we all have this image of mental health. Maybe it's, you know, a teenager that just won't engage in conversation or a veteran that is withdrawn or active duty, whatever your imagination can bring up. That's what you think. But it's more than that. And I learned so much just talking to her today. I have the links down below. Go check out my guns. They are the sponsor for the podcast today. And, you know, I don't get anything from Hold my guns. This is Definitely a mission that's worthwhile. Without further delay, Sarah, tell me about your love of guns. Good morning, everyone. This is Sarah Joy Albrecht. I am the founder and executive director for the 501c3 nonprofit Hold My Guns. Uh, what we do is we partner with gun shops across the United States to provide voluntary firearm storage during times of crisis or personal need, such as deployment or selling your home. I also am a certified QPR, suicide prevention instructor. QPR stands for question, persuade, and refer. And I enjoy teaching people about how they can bring hope to the people around them through being able to observe warning signs and clues of uh, someone who might be in crisis, teaching them how to ask questions that are compassionate and caring and help to get to the heart of uh, what's going on in that person's life, and then helping them uh, learn how to refer them to resources that are helpful. All of these things combined um, help to save lives, to protect property and preserve rights, and it is my joy to be here today. Thanks for joining me because this is, you know, we were talking a little bit off air about how kind of this is an important subject for me. And and one of the things that kind of stands out, you know, I've, I've seen it in your literature and you just said it again, is about preserving property and rights. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a, there's kind of a, a stigma around mental health, right? I mean, that's, it, it's, you know, good, you know, good, bad, indifferent. There, there's a stigma out there that with mental health problems, you will lose rights. Um, and it's not, it doesn't need to be that way. Correct. There is a stigma out there and, uh, it is not, um, it's not something that is a false stigma. I'm not, I'm not quite saying that in the best way, but 
there are there really is a good reason for concern uh, as gun owners um, pertaining to if you disclose to someone who is does not have an understanding of firearms and the normalcy of firearms. Uh, it's there's a possibility that that practitioner um, might report you just simply for having a firearm. And it is that kind of um, reality that, um, you know, I just want to put a plug in for Doctors for Responsible Gun Ownership, that they uh, have even created a uh, kind of a network of doctors who care about preserving rights. And so uh, one of my backgrounds before I um, founded Hold My Guns was that I was a doula for 11 years. And I learned... Um, the importance of patient advocacy and learning about how decisions simply like um, not putting um, antibiotic ointment on a baby's eyes when they were first born can all of a sudden flag that person um, with child protective services for, you know, um, harming their child. And so I learned a lot about um, medical freedom and it really carries over into uh, medical and mental health freedom. And I have a strong understanding of, of how, you know, well, a well-intentioned situation, um, you know, it's for somebody seeking help can really go sideways. And so I always encourage people um, to be wise about that and to be, um, I don't, I don't want to discourage people to get help. Please don't hear it that way. Um, but I want for you to make sure that you're getting help. That's appropriate that, um, that you vet the people that you share your, the personal details of your life with. And when you can do that, the help that you get is tremendous. Um, and so seeing that stigma was part of the reason why I founded Hold My Guns. I know that there are many gun owners out there. Fire, owning a firearm is normal. It's a very American thing. Um, but people are concerned about getting help because many times doctors do ask, are there firearms at home? And um, even if it's well-intentioned, they're, um, they, they don't have an understanding of it. So this provides an opportunity for people to say, um, actually, you know, my fire, if they choose to, it, it's up to people what they want to disclose, but there is the option of saying, um, actually our firearms are being stored offsite right now because our goal is healing. And, um, that's, that's not a concern. We know that that having access to lethal means when people are at risk uh, can increase risk for suicide. So we are temporarily storing our lethal means offsite, and that kind of, that really um, deescalates that conversation, and it empowers people to focus on healing versus um, being concerned about losing their property and losing their rights. And it really takes a proactive approach, utilizing existing resources from within our own community. We can support one another. Uh, to empower people to get help and to um, to be safe and wise while they might be facing a difficult crisis, if if that's the reason why they're storing their firearms. I mean, it gives them one less thing to have to worry about when you're talking to yes. a practitioner. Yes. Um, like I know, <clears throat> excuse me, I know um, a few years back here in Montana, it was common practice for doctors and it's really weird because it just suddenly became common practice for doctors to ask if there's firearms in the home. Mm -hmm. um, it's Montana. Everybody's got a gun here. Yeah. I mean, it, it, gun ownership is a thing here. Um, and I remember the first time I had a doctor ask me that. And I'm like, I, I remember looking at him going, actually, it's none of your business. 
This has nothing to do with my shoulder that you're getting ready to do surgery on. Right. <laughs> um, you know, and, and it was, you know, the question went away. <laughs> I mean, it, it did. They, they just kind of nodded, but it just seemed like all of a sudden HHS wanted to know if there was guns in the, in the homes and, right. and that doesn't help a situation. Right. I mean, it, you're, you're escalating something that doesn't need to be escalated. And, and especially I like what you're talking about is, you know, choose your practitioner. Uh, mm -hmm. Last week I was talking to a firearms trainer and we we're talking about choosing the correct firearms trainer. Well, anytime in healthcare, you need to choose a correct health, uh, you know, practitioner. Yes. Um, you know, my, my mother, I, I grew up, she was a nurse. Um, she was an OR nurse. And, and I learned at a young age that you, you do choose your practitioner. You don't, just because there's a doctor there doesn't mean that's your doctor, right? right. I mean, talk, to, ask questions, um, make sure that they're the right fit. And I think under, you know, if you're a firearms owner and you do need to seek professional help for, for, you know, some type of, I don't, I, I hate saying the word mental illness, but you just need some help, right? Mm -hmm. Ta interview. Right before you even get down to the the fact of um, you have firearms, interview them to see if maybe their philosophies don't match with yours. Um, right, you're and, hiring and them. Exactly, they're you're yes. their boss. Yes, <laughs> I mean, I, Jason, I want to go back a moment ago to talking sure. about a broken arm, and yeah. I I do want to talk about suicide risk with a situation like that. It is there if you have an arm surgery there's a good chance that you're going to be put on some kind of narcotic pain medication. Mm -hmm. So that is a doctor's concern. Um, and chronic pain is a big risk for suicide. So I think that one of, one of the, um, I guess, missions of hold my guns is to understand the idea of personal responsibility um, and also protecting rights. So we need to know about, you know, making sure that our doctors are on the same page with us when we're hiring them. Um, and we also need to not just say, well, it's not, it, it, we can say to our doctors, it's not your business and we have a firearm, but we also have to, I think, understand personally, we not, we don't need to be, um, we need to, to allow ourselves to entertain the idea of, um, wait a second, I might be in a lot of pain after this. I might be on narcotics after this. Yep. Do I have a plan for this so that, you know, honestly, the my doctors and my support team, um, my family, my friends, that they, they know like, hey, I, you know, it, this next couple of weeks, they might be kind of rough. So we right. developed a personal safety plan, which you can get through the link in the bio for all of our social medias. Um, and and a girl in a gun helped um, do a, a collaborative one that's that used our words but put it in a beautiful format. But that would be a scenario, you know, talking about personal responsibility, where you might realize, hey, I'm going to have a rough couple of weeks ahead. I do want to make sure, um, you know, like you know, I I had I've had a surgery before. I was on Dilaudid, and I felt like I was having an out of body experience. I don't <laughs> like that drug, and um, you know, like just being aware of how different medications can affect you and how pain can affect you. So we want, we don't want to like, I'm using a colloquialism of, you know, you don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater, but you, you know, just to say, well, it's not your business, but 
it might not be something we want to share with that doctor. Yeah. However, we don't want to be so arrogant that we say, and but it's not it's not a problem at all. And that's right. where people get in trouble with suicide because, risk. And, and I'm glad that you brought that up because um, you know when we think of you know people having you know men mental health issues, we generally think of long term issues. Um, and it's not, I mean, it, it can be a short-term issue where, like you said, you, you know, I've had two shoulder surgeries. I have two knee surgeries. I've got a knee replacement coming up. Uh, I've had 18 kidney stones. I'm, I'm very well aware of narcotics. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, uh, and I, it's so funny because, uh, even as I was a kid, I had my first shoulder surgery when I was 18. It was, you know, I don't, I don't like drugs. I, I just don't like them. They're, yeah. you know, they have their need, they, I, they have their needs. But even then I've had doctors who are like, you know, you go in for the follow-up and they're like, well, how are you doing with, um, you know, your pain management? Mm -hmm. And I hate the word pain management. I, I, I really it's do. euphemistic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I go, oh yeah, I'm fine. They're like, well, do you need more? You need, you know, Percocet or whatever they gave you. And I'm like, no, I'm, I'm good. And they're like, well, are you going to run out in the future? I'm like, I've been off that stuff for like, you know, two days after surgery, I was done. Right. <laughs> you know, um, that stuff is, is, is out. I just don't, I don't like that stuff in, in my body. I don't like what it, it can do. But they push um, it, don't they? But they, they do, they do. They don't push it as much anymore. I think now, well, now they push green cards. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> so they, you know, because because the FDA wants to reduce the narcotics, they just start pushing something else. Mm -hmm. But and that's the whole thing for me is I don't like that because pain tells me something's wrong. Um, I don't want to be uncomfortable, but I also don't want to do something stupid. Right. And um, but yeah, there. Um, I mean, getting hooked on Oxycontin and stuff, that's a real thing. And that, that can cause, you know, uh, you know, a mental health issue, right? Because yes. that drug is really running your life. Not you, you're not running it your is. life. And then throw in a factor like alcohol or something else. And yep. right. So, so yeah. I just, I Absolutely. really, I don't want to be so arrogant to say like, you know, how, I think, you know, from a rights perspective, telling a doctor about if I own a firearm, I, I don't, I'm not personally comfortable with that. Although I do have doctors that, um, one of my doctors actually carries in the office. He has his private practice and, you know, um, and, and so, uh, we've had those conversations, but, um, in a different, totally different context, cause we've been friends for a long time. And, uh, sure. anyway, um, but we, we just can't be so arrogant that we discredit no, like the heart behind. No, it questions. just, you need to it, be selective. Like, yes. like that particular doctor did not need to know. Um, right. my, the actual surgeon, he knows. Cause I, I, I know, you know, I know him, uh, mm -hmm. unfortunately he's done a few surgeries on me. Um, <laughs> yes. he knows what, he knows what my sport is. Uh, he knows I'm a shooter. Uh, because when we go to talk is like, what's your hobbies? And I, you know, I go, I, I, you know, I do competitive shooting and, and stuff like that. And then going through physical therapy, um, and unfortunately I've been through physical therapy multiple times. Uh, right. my therapist knows, my therapist knows my routine. I mean, even through 
my recovery, like now because of all the knee problems I have, I'm in pretty much physical therapy for the rest of my life. Um, and, and that we worked that physical therapy out to, you know, to shooting. Like, you know, mm -hmm. I talk, I, I go shooting and he's like, I don't, you know, I understand the, I understand the sport, but I've never really seen it. So I remember sitting there with an iPad one time showing, um, like Jessica hook and a couple of the other competition shooters go watching them do a stage. He goes, I know exactly. I know exactly what to do. And this, this movement is a lot, a lot like this in baseball and this in basketball. And so, because he's a sports medicine guy. Cool. So they put together a program that that's my physical therapy program every day that, you know, these are my movements and stuff like that. So the, the practitioners that need to know, no, um, exactly. and, and they deal with it. But this particular one was, I mean, th this doctor was uh, a resident. <laughs> they were not my actual doctor. Yes. <laughs> um, they didn't, they did not need to know, but I'm glad you brought that up because you're absolutely right. We do need to be truthful to the people that we need to be truthful to. Um, or even have personal awareness because not yes. every, like we don't want to take for granted that not, not everybody has people, right? Yeah, so exactly. We need, to be, we need to be personally aware of it. And, yep. and so um, the heart of some of those kinds of conversations um, it's not, you know, we have to be so careful about how we say things, but yes. um to the takeaway should be is, oh, okay, pain, narcotics, surgery might not have support. I might feel like I uh, am, don't bring value for a little while because I can't mow the yeah. lawn or whatever and keep yeah. up with my neighbors. You know, um, like we just have to be aware. And mental health is, we. I think we do a disservice to just undermine like mental health, just thinking of like, you know, um, a teenager like staring despondently out the window or, you know, whatever. And then we minimize in our minds, like, Hey, I could be at risk, you know, because we're thinking it's somebody else. And we have these yeah. like images of what we think a person in mental health crisis looks like. And we're not realizing like, Hey, I've got a lot of risk factors going on and I should probably just do a check and of myself and, and just talk to my friends and let, let them know, like, Hey, it's been a couple painful days and my neighbors are making fun of my lawn. Can you come over and help me out? You know, like those are mental <laughs> yeah. health things. So, yeah, it, it's funny because, you know, we don't think about that. You know, I like, I like what you say. You know, we think, you know, typical when we think mental health, you know, it's the teenager staring at a you know, teenager dressed up in golf, staring out the window, not talking. And with no expression on their face. Right. It's like, well, or, I, that's not me. So yeah, that's not me. So I don't, I don't fit that bucket or, or we think, right. you know, an old person with Alzheimer's. Um, but we don't think about multiple times in our lives. We, we kind of ride this little roller coaster, right? Yes. And it could be something as simple, like, like you're saying, um, you know, prescribed narcotics. I mean, yes, they're, they're needed for certain things. But they are mind altering. There's a reason why they say don't operate a car. Um, you know, yeah. don't make don't make decisions. You know, you know, don't make financial decisions while you're, you know, for the next 48 hours while this stuff's going through your body. Um, mm -hmm. That kind of goes into you know, hey, you know, maybe maybe you don't want to have immediate access to that firearm over there, right? Right. Uh, maybe. Maybe if you have your gun safe there and your gun safe's always unlocked, maybe it's, now's a good time to have your spouse just, you know, spin the dial for you and, uh, <laughs> right. and, and, you know, make sure that that all that stuff is really secured. 
Um, right. And those are yeah. things you can do on your own. And and that's exactly. in, in my advocacy. I want for people to practice self-governance. We don't want other people intervening. So we have to step up and take the responsibility and do the hard work, even if it's inconvenient that our safe is now, you know, spun around a little bit. Yep. Um, it's something that it's our choice to do. And and that actually creates mental strength. So the exactly. goal is to, to help people to think about, you know, um, how can I increase the mental strength in my household and in my circle of influence? And that's what we're all about. And that helps to preserve rights because when we are taking personal responsibility, we are not looking for the outside intervention of the government to tell us um, how, to, how to run our lives. So in order to do that, we have to have an honest conversation with ourselves. That's where it starts. I'm going to read a quote that you actually put out on LinkedIn yesterday. Okay. <laughs> um, I, I, this, this popped up on my feed yesterday and I'm like, oh, I, it's so great because I get to talk to her tomorrow. About, um, you wrote out there, mental health isn't about seeking a warm, fuzzy feeling. It involves taking personal responsibility. My hope in suicide prevention space is to help foster healthy relationships and increase prote uh, protective factors. Mm -hmm. which is great because, you know, I, I read that and I went, I, that's awesome. I, I, I love that quote because it's all about, you know, like you said before, taking responsibility and making sure that you're making decisions. You're, you know, you're, you're pushing, making a decision from a position of uh, making decisions from a position of power, right? Yes. You're trying to control things. Um, now, I, I, we've been talking so much and we're finally going to get to the questions that I have, <laughs> um, just because this is a great conversation that we're having. Um, what is the mission for Hold My Guns? I know we kind of touched on it a few times. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, just even kind of going back to that quote, Jason, which thank you for mentioning it. And the context of that quote was that yesterday I shared um, a, this, this cool little, um, I guess, somebody else's post, but just made some comments on it about the beauty of forgiveness and how to um, seek forgiveness when you've wronged someone. Um, and relationship issues are one of the big risk factors for suicide. You hear about a breakup or a divorce, someone's been served divorce papers, um, or someone has died in a, in a relationship and that person remaining is very heartbroken. And so, um, you know, that's, that's the context of it. And I appreciate you read that. And so about Hold My Guns, um, you know, it's really great to have uplifting quotes about mental health and to say, um, be responsible. But what I found was that there's a need to actually have a place to store firearms. So it's not just like, go and be well, <laughs> you work it out on your own. Um, not everybody has friends or family who can um, store a firearm when a person is in crisis or has a need. Um, my husband was in uh, working in Japan for a couple of years and we had to figure out what to do with our firearms while our family lived over there. So it, again, it doesn't have to be a mental health scenario, but hold my guns. Um, we, we partner with gun shops across the United States and we provide storage so that people do have options if they are ever in a scenario like some of the ones that we are talking about today. And they um, they want to be able to make sure that they're that they are um safe and have have smart decisions or maybe it's not even the gun owner themselves maybe it is a person in crisis who's in their household and that's actually one of the reasons why i started hold my guns um i'm a range safety officer and 
Uh, I help with a youth league. So my kids, all five of my kids have, have grown up in shooting sports. And um, in 2018, one of their friends took her own life for the firearm. She wasn't part of our league. It was somebody else in the community. But my kids came to me and they're like, mom, we really enjoy shooting sports. We know how important it is to preserve rights, but our friend is dead. And how can we help people in crisis um, to have a place to store firearms if they need it? And that is how Hold My Guns was was born. Um, it took a lot of work. There was a lot of, of uh, legal considerations, but we worked with Joshua Prince, who is a phenomenal attorney here in Pennsylvania. And he also has... Um, has uh, his ability to practice in some of the surrounding states here in Pennsylvania. And um, he helped us to come up with a process that is not reinventing the wheel, but it is uh, utilizing the backbone of the consignment and consignment return process. So for a completed firearm, there is a um, 4473 and a background check because it is temporarily going into the books of that FFL. Um, but we can also store a non-serialized critical part, such as a barrel or firing pin. And, and so these are um, processes that gun shops are very familiar with already. And um, it doesn't take a lot of understanding or like extra training, I should say, uh, in order to, um, to take in a firearm and to give it back to that person. So that was very important to me that it was um, not all, not all FFLs have, you know, storage space for locker services and all of that. So creating a process that any FFL provided they have uh, general liability insurance in case, you know, there's any yeah. damages that occur because their firearms are investments. So we want to make sure that yes. they're, you know, respected while they're being stored. Um, but really, it's something that any FFL uh, could participate in if, if they were able to meet that kind of criteria. So, and that's what we were talking offline earlier about. Um, that's what I think the genius of this is, is it, like you said, it's not reinventing the wheel you're using what's already there. There's mm -hmm. already a, a network of licensed firearm dealers and you're using the existing federal process, federal and state and local processes to, to do that. It doesn't matter. It, you know, it's not like, Hey, you would need to do this, 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 this. No, it's just no different than a fire. You know, like you said, you know, I was an FFL for nine years. You receive a firearm. Doesn't matter who it came from. Right. Um, unless you're working on a gun returning same day, that's completely different with gunsmithing. But if it's going to spend the night, it's got to be logged into your into your logbook. Um, and then the whole consignment thing is 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 was genius to me when I was looking at this, because, you know, returning that firearm, depending on what your state laws are, you are going to have to fill out a forty four seventy three federal after so much so long you definitely need to fill out a 4473 and that you're just using that that system already um, exactly gun uh, firearm dealers know how to do background checks i mean that's part of the training to get the license um mm -hmm. and i wouldn't say the training is all that long uh it's about 10 minutes with your atf agent <laughs> um you need to do this 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 good luck um but that's the greatest thing about it is that, you know, as we do these things every day, this is no different than any other transfer. You're just returning it back to the original person using right. the, cons using the consignment law forces um, a background check, right. To make sure that it that does, person is still allowed to own a firearm. Yes. And, and I, uh, that's something that, um, 
you know, can be controversial. Our goal, though, is to, because it's a regulated space, it would be a nightmare if that FFL returned a firearm to a prohibited person. So we had to take into considerations like that. But the other thing about the consignment return process is that it allows the FFL, if that person, for example, um, you know, they're storing their firemen and they disappear, <laughs> then yeah. it allows the FFL to be able to um, to sell that firearm if needed. And I don't want people to hear this and say, oh my goodness, they're stealing our guns and selling them. Oh. No, what what can happen right. is that the FFL then, that people ditch their, their guns with the FFL, and now you have this item that they can't do anything with. So we have very, very, very clear contracts that you know, it, yes, it's a it's a minimal um, storage fee that we uh, have our FFLs set, um, and and so and maybe they're offering additional like you know um, amenities that we allow them to do. Like it's it, we'll clean your firearm or we're going to store it in this special way because this is a ten thousand dollar rifle or something, right? right? Like yeah. so we allow them to set their their market price for that, but we encourage it to be them to be affordable, um, but with that, if someone were to just dump a bunch of firearms at an FFL and then walk away, then that FFL has some recourse. And it's very clear. It's like, if, Hey, you haven't paid for 90 days or whatever number they, the FFL has set. And now you're not stuck with a bunch of firearms that you're, you know, not allowed to do anything with. So it's not just simply to ensure that, um, that an FFL doesn't lose their license because they've, you know, given a firearm to a prohibited yep. person, um, but, but yeah. also because it it helps to protect them from having people just abusing the service. So those are things that you have to consider when you're operating in a regulated space. If you had an IOI come in and be like, you know, whose firearms are these, and you know yeah. what's going on here, um, we don't want our FFLs to lose their license over it. But that being said, we can store non-serialized parts like a barrel or a firing pin, and that way, a person, um, you know, if they for whatever reason don't want to be involved with um, that that process, or they they want to keep their firearm at home because it's a really expensive firearm, or maybe it's a privately manufactured firearm um, that they, they have options as well to make sure those firearms are, are inoperable. So that way it's basically a display piece. You know, you have right. your grandfather's Winchester's over top of the mantle. Sure. Um, that gun missing may cause some questions that, you know, you don't want to answer during you know Thanksgiving dinner, right. <laughs> um, so therefore you know you could render you could render the firearm inoperable. No and one no will one ever know. know, right? It's still there. It's where it's where everybody expects it to be, and then nobody needs to ask other questions, right? They don't need to yeah. dig into whatever you're dealing with um, on your personal side. And I'm, I'm glad you brought that up about the FFL because you know one of the things. I thought of when I first heard about hold my guns was, you know, I, I thought of it from an FFL standpoint because I was an FFL and I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm sitting there going, why would I, as an FFL, why would I ever want to do this? Because mm -hmm. I'm going to be stuck with this gun in, in my safe or in my secure storage area. You know, what happens if they disappear, you know, you know, people move or, um, or, you know, we'll say, let's say they won the lottery and moved to some, you know, nice country down in the Caribbean and you never hear from them again. Um, you know, what do you do with that firearm at that point? Because you're stuck with them. Because I've actually had some 
odd transactions, <laughs> I'll say. Um, I and and they're odd in in the fact of that I've had you know I've had um, people that were deployed, um, and they and they're like, hey, look, I got this great deal on this gun. I couldn't pass it up. I need you to. Yeah, I need a place to, to do the transfer. I'm like, okay, cool. I can take care of that. But I'm not going to be back for nine, nine months. And I'm like, what's going on? And they're deployed and, and you know, they're going through this stuff. And it starts sounding, sounding like a scam. But as you start checking them out, because, you know, I know, I know people on the, on the, we have Fort, uh, not Fort McHenry. Sorry, I'm thinking Baltimore, <laughs> Fort Harrison here in, uh, in Helena. And I go, Hey, do you guys happen to know this person? Yeah. He's deployed. Okay, cool. Thanks. Um, I'm like, yeah, I can deal, I can deal with that for you. And, but Hey, you know, cause my wife, the first thing my wife goes is what happens if they're on patrol and they hit an IED or, you know, you start going through these things. I'm like, yeah, you got, I got to think about that. Right. And right. that's where the, that's where the consignment law kind of, it's a little yes, different under that situation because it comes in from another FFL, but still after a certain point, you know, I have, I send them a contract going, Hey, um, and, and it, you know, if your deployment gets extended, you need to tell me. Mm -hmm. Um, but after this date, if, you know, I'll, I'll try to start, I'll start reaching out to you if you haven't started reaching out to me. And then after this date, if I still haven't received word from you, that firearm's mine. Right. Um, and and you might say I'm, I'm able to sell it or, and, and I just want to yeah. say like good contracts make good neighbors and yes. it, it, it really does yes. help to get rid of a lot of the frustration that, you know, that gun owners might have or that FFLs might have. And so that's why we put, we invested so much in our contracts with Joshua Prince, because we wanted to be very clear that all parties were protected. We even have in our contract that if there is a court order that the FFL it is at the expense of the, the customer because someone's got to yeah. pay for it, but they will ask for that court order to be sealed so that the information about um, firearms, whatever that might be, again, court order warrants all that. It's not just willy nilly. Right. It's, it's for, you know, yep. there are real scenarios out there like that, but we, um, we require that the, that personal information is um, sealed. And so considerations yeah. like that, that protect privacy are, um, and, and protect rights. That is a big part of our considerations for our contracts. Um, and, you know, we also have in there, you know, what happens if a person, um, is becomes prohibited. It can be transferred to a, a lawful third party uh, that is in our contract. Um, if if uh, a person dies, you know we're not reinventing the wheel. That that the executor of the estate can bring in a death certificate and they can pick up a firearm. These are normal things that happen in a normal course of business for an FFL. There might be some oddities like people probably don't die every day and and deal with that. But right. there yeah. are already procedures car, car accidents happen i mean happen. Th things happen right yes yeah and good communication good contracts they go far and uh and we take it seriously because they're investments and and we also take you know seriously the needs of the ffl so it's it and and both people gun owners and ffls they're they're people in our firearms community and so we yeah. want to make sure that as much as possible that we advocate for good communication and good practices, which by the way, contributes to good mental health. So <laughs> I just want to put that out there as well. I mean, if you think about it, if you, if you have an FFL, you're not getting an FFL because you hate guns and you hate the no. community, right? right. <laughs> I mean, you're, you're, 
you're you're actively participating in the community in the regulated space. Um, you know, you're you have certain things and and that's the one thing you, you said something in there about, you know, if someone is no longer able to get a, a firearm, right? You know, for some reason they can't pa pass a background check, whatever. That's where FFLs are going to freak out a little bit about transferring to a third party because it sounds a lot like a straw purchase. But the advantage with the contract is, is that it laid that out already. Yes, you know, that exactly. scenario has already been addressed. So that way, if you're sitting there talking to an IOI, you can, that one can be explained away, right? This was yes. the contract. Yes. Um, and, and no, I did not. I did not actively engage in a, in a straw purchase. Exactly. And you have the address of the the gun owner, and it would be very easy to check to see the address of the on the ID of the person they're transferring it to. And those are the kinds of things that, again, working with an attorney who is um, well versed in defending rights and understanding um, firearms related law, that he really put his heart into it to make sure that the FFLs were protected, but that the gun owners were protected too. Now you brought something up offline that I hadn't thought of. Uh, okay. I'm going to bring it up because both of us have, both, both of us have a good friend with, uh, with Jordan at JSD supply. Yes. Yeah. 80% firearms do not have serial numbers. And now, um, now with the regulation changes that, we think are coming. We're not sure. Maybe they'll get tied up. Maybe they won't. We we just won't know until August 24th, uh, really what's going to happen. How are we going to address that if we're, if we're an FFL and we're in hold my guns and someone comes up to us with an 80% firearm with no serial number? Mm -hmm. Well, it's one of the frustrating things is how, um, the ATF can just suddenly overnight redefine things and all of a sudden criminalize um, gun owners who are uh, who actually care about doing their best to to uh, do things in a lawful way. Although um, I I just want people that when they hear this conversation to recognize that laws change all the time and that that's why it's so important that we have um, an inalienable right to to defend ourselves and that. I think supersedes a lot of these um, these uh, laws that are coming out, and and I I also want people to understand we operate in a regulated space, and I understand the hypocrisy of how, what that sounds like with all my guns, but it really does. Um, you know, we we do our best, um, you know, to to do things in the in the right way, and most people who are gun owners are not criminals, and to all of a sudden just be hit with this. Oh wow! Now you're a criminal because this particular hunk of metal is not serialized. It's a bunch of crap, and uh, it makes me angry. And um, from a hold my guns perspective, you know, again, we can store something that's not serialized. But I just find it really fascinating that you know, um, for for an entity that's always trying to say like, "Well, we're protecting lives, and we're doing this to to." Um, to help to reduce access and save lives and blah, blah, blah. It's like, actually, it's you're the opposite. <laughs> yeah, it's the exact opposite. It feels like death by a thousand paper cuts, which is not good for mental health. And it, it, uh, it, it frustrates a majority of Americans to own firearms. And it just, from that perspective is, it, it makes me angry. Um, I don't know yet what FFLs would have to do if we received a completed firearm, if they would be required to serialize them. But for now, I would say if a person does have a privately manufactured firearm to, um, to don't, don't bring in parts that, you know, 
have to be serialized if that if those law changes go into effect because the that, goal is, that's where again yeah i mean the goal is to help people to in, in that kind of scenario to not have access to lethal means so yeah. that's the heart take of the it. lower parts basically take the lower parts kit out store the unserialized parts yes. with the ffl keep the finished frame at home i mean you know like uh with with JSD supply there, the P, you know, the P320, you just have that piece of metal with no guts yes. in it. Um, I mean, that's, you know, give the FFL, check everything else in with the FFL at that point. Yes. Um, and that's kind of where, com you know, um, making sure that you have a good communications when you check in your firearms, right? I mean, yes, that's communications, why everything. everybody needs to talk back and forth because what happens if, I don't know. Let's just say the Clintons come back to power and suddenly AR 15s are banned. Right. Oh my God. Um, yeah. I, Cause that, cause that happened kind of um, back in the nineties. Um, theoretically. Yeah. <laughs> theoretically. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, like you said, laws change. Uh, this is where making sure that you have good communication with the FFL, the FFL has good path to communicate back to you going, Hey, look, mm -hmm. This law is changing. Um, this may affect you. Um, and then how you know, and then at that point, the FFL can work with the individual to figure out what to do. Because right. if that individual is still not capable of or, or still I don't want to say capable, is still not willing to have that firearm, they could have it transferred to a third party. Right. right. Willing is a very good point, word. Yep. Go, we we really emphasize personal agency and and self-determination there. So yeah. yes. And, and I, I do want to say, um, I do know Jordan, um, and he is a brilliant man and he is genuine and we generous. are really great. He is generous. <laughs> we are grateful for the, how he's revitalized gun shows here in Pennsylvania. Um, he is just meticulous with the way that he organizes things, but he also always makes sure that people are having fun. And at any yeah. time during the gun show, you'll, you will see him in the crowd and you'll see his family in the crowd. It's a family business. Um, and, and they are, uh, you know, checking in on people. How's it going today? Uh, you know, would you like a piece of pizza? Like, you know, he's practically the pizza fairy. Uh, you yeah. can tell him I said that, but he is, he is a genuine person. And on one hand, I am very angry that, um, he's been the target of this because, because he's a lightning rod, because he makes decisions that are, and he sticks to his guns. On the other hand, I, he's a brilliant person that doesn't, he's not going to take this crap. And I, oh, and I know that many people are helping him fight it. So, you know, I, it's such a catch 22 because I don't want to wish this kind of thing on anyone. On the other hand, I'm like, come on, Jordan. So we need to support him and yeah. um, let him know that we appreciate him and his willingness to um, not kowtow, but to be part of this fight. Because ultimately, like we we're talking about earlier, you know, it, we don't want to just say, oh, well, I don't, I don't make my own firearms. I don't have, I don't put together kits or whatever it is. Right. Um, we could doesn't have matter. that. It doesn't matter. And, and the thing is like, we, again, we can get caught up in that, like, well, this doesn't apply to me, but really it does. And it, it affects, you know, it affects all my guns potentially, but it also affects all of us to say like, at what, where will this end? And the heart of it yes. is if you can have um, laws just changing all the time, 
then it can criminalize us. So we need to we need to not say, oh, that's somebody else's problem. We all need to understand it's, the value of this and protect rights. It's all of our problem. I mean, uh, you know, I I've said several times on the podcast, and I mentioned to you earlier. You know, one of my videos was taken down by five sen- five anti gun senators. Um, it was mine and several other content creators. We had our uh, had videos taken down, had strikes issued against our channels and stuff like that. And um, I wrote to my two senators. Now, one's a Republican, one's a Democrat. And quite frankly, I could care less what party you're, you're with. You know, I, I, I have an issue. And my issue was not necessarily that the video was taken down, right? I mean, I go, and I, and I said that to the two senators. I'm like, look, my video violated YouTube guidelines. I took all my other videos down. This is the one that I forgot to take down. It took it down. Okay. I, I, I own that, right? Because I violated it. The video is still on other platforms. I own that I violated YouTube's um, policy. What I had a problem with <laughs> was that these five senators just happened to, well, engage in censorship. It's not their office's job to enforce the policies of a private company or, or even a publicly traded company. It's not their job. There was no laws that were broken. Um, and that's where, you know, going back to your thing about how things can change. Mm-hmm. Um, we need to be, you know, and I even wrote in there, I go, look, I go, my issue is not that the video got taken down. My issue is, is that if, if, five senators can do this to a corporation where no laws were breaking. Where does this go from there? Where does this stop? What else can they do? Um, I mean, they can ruin someone's life. They can. Yep. And this, we need to stop this whole wishy-washy stuff because even with this regulation coming down, it's still not a law. It's a regulation. Right. Um, And that's, again, that's the importance of, withhold my guns. It's a for gun owners by gun owners organization. And that is really why it, uh, how it's making a difference in our own firearms community, because people know that, um, everyone on our team are gun owners. We care about rights. Um, and, and ultimately our goal is to support our own community. Um, you know, we have been offered, uh, opportunities to participate in, uh, grants and such that would have been very lucrative. And I have, um, flat out said no way because there are strings that are attached that, you know, it's, well, just let us know, like who's storing firearms. Can you share information about that for, you know, as we're collecting data or, um, you know, can you just share this information about this other group over here that, well, it's about suicide prevention, but really, you know, they're going to be, um, their, their whole goal is to try to reduce gun violence by, you know, this is like, oh, wait a second. So, we we yeah, care it, about that, and and for gun owners by gun owners is really the heart of what we're doing, and and so much so, Jason. That's what we put on our brochure: for gun owners by gun owners, because we wanted people to know right away when they hear about our program that it is uh, it's not uh, a wolf in sheep's clothing; that it it really is from our own community. So 
um, I, I appreciate that you bring up Jordan and um, he definitely has my support. I can't say that for the whole 501c3, but I mean, it, it is, but <laughs> yeah, you, know. Know, you understand. That's a, that's, um, a per that's a personal stance of, on a, of yours. It's my personal <laughs> stance. And I would say it's probably the personal stance of everyone on my team. And, yeah. um, and I also want for people to, again, the takeaway is that these issues in our own firearms community are important and they ultimately do affect all of us. So it is a very relevant thing to discuss and we need to support him. Awesome. Yeah. I, I, I couldn't have said it better myself. Um, it's, he is a great guy and, and, you know, I've, I've had the fortunate, uh, I've been able to talk to him. Um, I met, I finally physically met him cause we're halfway across the country from <laughs> cool. each other. I physically yeah. got to meet him at shot show this year. Um, okay. and, he is when when you talk to him and you're you're standing in front of him, what what you what you see is what you get. That's him. Yes, that, that is totally him. And, and he's and smart and mentally strong, and he yeah. knows the laws, and he also understands why they're in place, and he can argue like, but you know, but yeah. hey, this thing over here, this is he, uh, seems to be a contradiction. Like, so I I love that he is wise to those things. And it's not just like, oh, okay, whatever you want. Like, he's like, wait a second, you're actually like lying about this because this over here, like, so we need that kind of mental strength. And uh, I, I appreciate him on many levels. He has, he has no problems turn, uh, tur uh, transitioning from a t-shirt to a shirt and tie and running out over to Harrisburg and telling people. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and it, what's so funny, you talk about the gun show is that's the gun show that he got kicked out of. It um, is. And then he, he just did it. it. <laughs> and then he bought it. And, you know, but the way that he and yet the people oh, was, who were instrumental in getting him kicked out, they still go to the gun show. And I have yeah. to say that when you have the kind of mental strength that Jordan Van Rowe has and you live by your principles and values and you don't live by running with your emotion on your sleeve, it allows you to diplomatically still talk to people who have wronged you and to have um, to treat people with dignity from human, human perspective, but also know where he stands on things and not, not to compromise. And that is something I have a great deal of respect that he is um, that he, the solution that he had to buy the gun show, um, but yet still is, Hey, but these people are in our, in our community and I'm still going to have them give them a booth here. And I'm not going to, to have this big emotional drama. It's just, Hey, I'm the, I'm the new owner. So you're just going to have to take it or leave it. And it's, it was the biggest, most beautiful flex. And, uh, and it really, instead of uh, the way that that happened, instead of uh, creating drama from within our firearms community, it just it was like, okay. It just um, and it's, it's funny because it just happened, right? I mean, there usually there's a lead up. And so I did a whole podcast on um, fake drama. You know, it drives me nuts with the fake drama. Um, he is definitely not a fake drama guy. He's just yeah. like, I'm going to look at this. Here's the facts. I'm going to argue on the facts. Um, I'm going to make a decision on it. And then um, if I can't sway you, then uh, okay, that's that's your opinion. But I'm still going to do what I'm going to do. Right. Um, because and, he and lives me, by principles. I, 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 yeah. I see the pictures of those gun shows and it's it, it's awesome. Right. I mean, he, he's briefed it, life so into the gun show. And it's he, it's and so he's got fun that to smile. be there now. He just yeah. has that smile too. Right. I mean, just, 
um, when he smiles, just everybody just it just everybody relaxes. Do you right? have a crush he, on him, Jason? <laughs> a little bit, a little okay. bit, but mostly because of his guts. <laughs> okay, that's that's fair enough. Uh, that's fair mostly, enough. mostly because he came up with an eighty percent eighty percent frame of a gun that I love. Um, but no, it's just it's one of those things I see that because like I've seen pictures of you and Genevieve, your your co-founder, with like um, Joe from Shooting Gallery New England when he came yes. down to the show. Um, you know, I, I, I know Joe, um, and it, it's just, it's, wonderful. it's yeah. a great time. You know, I see, uh, dark coming up from Virginia to those shows and I see all these other yes. content creators I know. And it, it is a, it's dark just is also a brilliant. Time. I absolutely adore him yeah. and, uh, don't have a crush on him, but I know I really do. He's, <laughs> he is someone that is genuine in person as, as he is online and he genuinely cares about people. And, yeah. you know, something that, um, that we love to emphasize at hold my guns is the protective factor of the firearms community. And, and, you know, we're talking about people who are, um, like, I mean, they're kind of well-known, but we're just normal people, right? Yeah. Like Joe is, he's a, he's a normal guy, but people are like, oh my goodness, I watched Shooting Gallery in New England, or um, we watched DLD After Dark and, and, and yet um, they're approachable. And, and even though they have like this like celebrity status in our community, they're approachable people. Jordan's approachable. And I wish that the outside world, which on, on one hand, I, I wish that on the other hand, I don't really care, but it makes me sad. <laughs> I wish that, I wish that they, that people would realize how much our firearms community genuinely cares about one another. If I'm having a bad day and Tony Simon knows about it, I'm going to get a text message from him, you know? Yeah. Um, and and just, you know, we're, or, or Beth Alcazar, I could tell her like, dude, today's a frustrating day with my kids. And she'd be like, hang in there, Sarah, or whatever it might be, you know? And, and so the friendships that are there, genuine people, that is how, uh, that's suicide prevention. And, you know, shooting together on the range with, um, with our friends who can, who know what our baseline looks like, and they can tell if we're having a tough day. Um, like, hey, don't go alone today. I, I know you're having a tough time. Let me go to the range with you. I'll, I'll move a few things around. I'll see you at four o'clock and let's talk and shoot. And, you know, so like people looking out for one another is so key. And that's something that when I was at the Girl in a Gun National Conference recently, I taught um, six uh, courses for QPR suicide prevention. That's something we talked about a lot. And we we brought into, um, like, you can customize the QPR, there's the course slides, but you can customize that curriculum to meet the needs of the audience. And so I included several uh, slides and talking points about the beautiful protective factors that are within our firearms community. Um, when I when I taught at the um, the USCCA Expo in October last year, I taught a, a course called Threats from Within, Assessing Risk and Creating a Personal Safety Plan. I had a, a gentleman who was a veteran come up after me after the to talk to me after the the uh, one of the presentations, and he said, Sarah as a veteran, people are like, thank you for your service. Are you thinking of taking your own life? Here's a pamphlet, you know? And he's like, yeah. I, he's like, maybe they're well-meaning, but it comes across as hurtful and insulting because at the end of the day, I just feel like I, I'm just this one 
big risk factor walking around. I have PTSD. I've struggled with alcohol addiction. I've, I've have been through divorce. Um, and so he said, what I learned today in your presentation is that I have protective factors too. And the fact that I shoot with my buddies on the range, that saves my life. And they know that, you know, if they're like, uh, hey, we're going to the range. And I'm like, oh no, I'm not going to make it to the, like, yes, you are. We're coming to your house. Yeah. Like, you know, how to how to get me out and out of isolation so he said thank you for emphasizing with hold my guns and with your suicide prevention work the protective factors and if and people can have all the risk factors in the world but if they have protective factors just even one or two strong ones like a spouse who loves them or their dog you know like i i'm i gotta be there to take my dog out and that's yeah. what's keeping me alive because yeah. i love the joy that that brings right and i, I want to be there for my dog uh, or shooting with friends or whatever that might be um it is so important to recognize that that in this scope of things it's not as complicated as some would want it to sound it's all about protective factors and risk factors and if we can increase protective factors, then we decrease decrease the the gravity of those risk factors. And part of that is taking personal responsibilities to make sure that you have plans um, for your risk factors, that you have plans to increase your coping mechanisms and your interaction with people and things like that. Um, so anyway, just uh, it, well, it really I mean, is all about community and, and how it is. Out it, it, the one thing I, and I'm going to, I'm going to use a pun here, no pun intended. Okay. <laughs> you can have all you can have all the you can have all the risk factors. Mm -hmm. But if you take the trigger away from it, you've mitigated the risk, right? So, I mean, that's the whole thing of going out with your friends. I mean, that's the whole thing is a lot of people they just like they they internalize, right? You know, something's wrong, we 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 tend to internalize, we don't want to be around people, but that's the best time to be around people because especially the people that know you. The people um, know you, know, the right people. Yes. Right. The right people in, in, in your, in your world. And, you know, I, I know several veterans and some of them, they've seen some very horrible things in their lives. Yes. Um, in, in service. And, you know, I've, I've had one that, um, you know, I, I talked to them and I'm like, Hey, you're not doing well. I mean, he went through a lot of change in his life, went through a divorce and, and stuff like that. And, and I'm like, you're not doing well. And he's like, no, I'm not. I'm like, you need, you need to go seek some help. And he's like, yeah, I'm working on it. It's just, you know, the, the VA is running a little slow. I'm like, Hey, do, do we need, do we need to get a Senator involved? And, and you know, do, whatever it is, you know, I also know someone um, it's another content creator. It's um, uh, ghost tactical. Yes. He's got like, he's got like the direct, direct line right into the VA. Like it, he can cut some red tape if we need to. And he's just like, no, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm good. I'm not that bad. Um, but I'll let you know, I go, look, you really do need some help because you're going to become one of the 22 pushups. You know, mm -hmm. the, the road that you're on is not good. And it's the fortunate thing is that I knew him. Um, we've known each other for a while and I could see the triggers in him. Like you're, you're not doing well. Uh, fortunately he got a, you know, a VA appointment that got sped up on him and, um, he got the help he was needed. I, I was talking to him just a couple of weeks ago and he's a completely different person right now. Good. Um, he's got, I'm he's got the help that. because yeah, I, I, it's just, it's one of those things you need the right people to be around you. Yes. Um, and 
that's that's important. Yes, um, and and to respect choices too, because you know of the of the number of veterans that die. Uh, by suicide each day, um, and suicide is not just a, a problem among, in the veteran community or this the service member community. It's it's everywhere, um, but statistically, um, I, and I think I think a number that's a more recent number is seventeen, and and I heard out of seventeen veterans who die by suicide that eleven are not connected to um, to VA services, and so you know I think it's very important that we encourage people like. Hey, if you're not going to get help at veteran services, um, which you have the right to make that personal choice, what are some other options? And and that's one of the things that we teach in QPR is to not just like, you know, refer people to to random resources, but to get their personal buy-in to say, um, well, you know, I I don't care for this resource over here. But you know what? You're right. I'll give my pastor a call. Or I don't really like this particular, uh, you know, clinician that you're recommending. However, doctors for responsible gun owners they have uh, some clinicians, and I will do that. And then, then as a follow up, then we're like, hey, you said that you were going to give a call um, to your choice yesterday. How did that go? And so yeah. it's really it's actively listening. It's it's treating people with dignity and respect, and it is empowering them to make their personal choices that work best for their lives. And, and that we need to see that as a win versus, you know, taking personal offense if a person doesn't want to use our favorite resources. And, and again, many times we just get caught up in, in, you know, taking it personally, if someone doesn't, it's yeah. like, well, I gave you advice. You didn't take my advice. So, you know, you can't, you you can't do, yeah, you can't right. shut down like that. That's, that's, right, you that's can't. the wrong thing to do. That's the wrong thing to do. And so teaching people that's, you know, a big part of the QPR training is yeah. teaching people how to uh, talk to someone in crisis in a way that still gives that, that promotes their personal agency. And we know that when people have personal agency, then that they're not caught up in, you know, worrying about um, having like, you know, this is not exactly what I want, but then they can say, I'm actually focused on healing because I'm doing this in the way that works best for me. And we, that's what we want. We want for, for mental health treatment or personal choices to actually make a difference in a person's lives. It's not helpful if it's not helping that person. Otherwise, we're just pushing our own agenda on them, which again, that's why Hold My Guns is so important to me is that it provides an option for people um, that they have the choice to do that. It's a voluntary service that we offer. And that's, that's the beauty of it. Um, that it's, uh, helping people in, in a way that, uh, promotes their personal decision-making. Now you mentioned the, the QPR and the girl in a gun. You were at the girl in a gun conference last month. Yes. And you, you had kind of, cause we were trying to set this interview up back then. You got to had like a major milestone for the amount of people <laughs> Talk, talk a little bit about that. I mean, that that was a pretty amazing achievement. It was. Uh, we. I, it turned out to be um, it, the. So it was a really big event. There were um, well over, I well including like vendors and stuff. There were there were probably like seven hundred people there, and it was a very like concentrated crowd. Um, and the ladies were able to pick different courses. And so I ended up teaching um, six rounds with uh, an average of. 12 or 10, it's like 10 to 12, but like to say an average of 10 per class. And so I, and they are all now certified in QPR. Um, but it was a phenomenal to see how, 
Yeah, in one event to see that many women certified in QPR and and uh, hearing their personal stories. There are many women there who were affected by um, loss of, of losing a loved one to suicide or women that have um, been through some horrible things in, in life and have um, at one point thought about taking their own lives. And, you know, the beauty of, of um, taking this class and, and having these discussions is then the other people in the class realize like, wait a second, I'm not the only one. Or I realize that this is more prevalent than what I was tuned into before. And now I can actually appreciate that people that um, are really strong have actually, they're that way because they've been through a lot and it helps us to tune in more to um, just the ups and downs in life and how normal it is to have ups and downs, but also to see what things helped that person to be resilient or what they did in the aftermath of a loss that allows them to still be there today, despite their grief. So it was amazing to get like that many people and also in the firearms community, I, that, that is not lost on me, um, you know, to actually be teaching suicide prevention, a credentialed course that is, it actually counts for two continuing education credits. Um, awesome. Is, it's just a, a joy to do that. Uh, we started we started sponsoring QPR trainings, uh, including myself and uh, one of our board members, uh, Paul Jones, um, who's involved with IDPA, by the way. He's wonderful. He's our treasurer. Um, we decided to do this because we had a board meeting where um, one of our former board members, uh, he said, um, hey, you'll, you'll never guess what happened today. There was someone that was, um, you know, they had intended to take their own life and that's why they signed up for my class. And I had to, uh, I recognized some warning signs. And then um, Genevieve, my co-founder, she said, oh my goodness, I had this, a similar thing happen. And I stopped the lesson and that person admitted that they were struggling with depression and that they probably shouldn't be around firearms. And in our conversation at our board meeting, we were like, wow, this is um, a concern, strong. you know, yeah. as range safety officers and instructors, I don't really think that this kind of training is uh, out there right now in the firearms community. So, um, you know, just like with Hold My Guns, the, no one was really doing that. And so we saw a need to do it and to make it happen. So we're doing, we did the hard work there and um, we're taking seriously um, educating people with QPR. And our hope is that instructors and RSOs, you know, when they have their list of, of credentials on their, uh, their website or resume or whatever, that if someone is um, looking them up for the intent of um, taking their own life on the range, that instead they would say, hey, this person's certified in suicide prevention. Maybe they're an ally, someone that I can talk to and get help. And that's really our hope. Um, and it also creates a totally different level of situational awareness that is often not discussed. Uh, something that I was sharing with the ladies at the Girl in a Gun conference, which by the way, ladies out there, a Girl in a Gun is a tremendous organization. Yes, it is. Um, and, and they educate women, but also encourage women to like take total ownership of your lives. And I love it from that perspective too, that, yes. and then you have the camaraderie of, of your, your tribe, you know? Um, and yep. it's a very, very welcoming group. So check them out. Um, but, you know, 
talking about the ladies from a, with a girl and a gun, there were many gun shop owners and range safety officers and instructors in my classes. And something that we were talking about is how in the standard operating procedures or the SOPs, like there's really not a lot in there about what do you do if you, if someone is in crisis on the range, there's, there are not, um, you know, here are, here's a number for the national suicide prevention lifeline, or here are local, um, crisis groups that work with our gun club that, you know, that it, people that are available to help to talk to someone in crisis, there's nothing in those, um, those procedures that talk about like, you know, if someone is in a suicide crisis on the range, how do we address that in a way that keeps the rest of the line safe? So my encouragement to the ladies at a girl and a gun, my students there, and also to um, people in our community everywhere, because even if you're not an RSO, you're still shooting on the line, right? Like yep. to be familiar with um, resources, but also know how to talk to someone in crisis and to know how to keep yourself safe too, because we have to take that into consideration. Um, if you're going to be talking to someone who has a, a loaded firearm. So these are all important things that I think um, that those standard operating procedures should include, but they really don't. And, and again, like if we just think, well, that's somebody else's problem and we don't address it, um, then that makes us more vulnerable. So we need to do a better job of that, but it needs to come with from within our own community. Now, I'm going to say this is going to sound totally wrong, but I think you're going to get what I'm saying is that QPR training can be used offensively as well as defensively, right? It can be used, or I should say proactively, right? Um, so if you have a, you know, because let's face it, instructors are designed, you know, they're, they're taught keep muzzles downrange, keep bullets going downrange, everything's going downrange, don't go past, break the 180, you know, all that stuff. But we, like you said, they're not really training for what happens if somebody is is having a mental uh, crisis rate at that point. And, you know, cause now they're just like, they're going to be trying to yell at that person to keep the gun down, range, which might have the direct wrong response, um, which is great because, you know, if we're doing this training to instructors and range safety officers and, and gun shop owners and stuff like that, you know, when we think of, I know as an FFL, when we think of mental health, we think of one line on the 4473, right? Um, you know, it's basically, are you adjudicated mentally defective? That's, as an FFL, literally that's the only training you get. And you don't even get training on that. You get training on what the correct answer is on the, on the form. Mm -hmm. um, so being able to have that many firearm people understand that um, and, and getting it on the front lines that's where it really helps. Um, that's right. where we need it. And it, it's not even just on the range, like going back to what we were talking about earlier about community, you know, if we're at our club meeting and someone stands up and says, um, oh, you're not going to be seeing my husband here anymore because we're going through a divorce. And so you have a knowledge of a uh, situational risk factor that this person's going through a difficult divorce. And then you see your, your friend, your club member out in the range and she's by herself and she's crying. You're not, you know, it's not like, uh, Oh, she's fine. I'm just going to ignore it. It's like, no, there are multiple clues here. And so I'm going to go over and say, hi, and I'm yeah. going to say, how are you doing today? How are you really doing? I noticed that you're crying. I was at the meeting. I heard what happened. I'm really sad that this is going, you know, can we go out for coffee? Can I 
hang out with you and shoot with you. Like I'm here by myself today too. Can we hang out? You know, like, so that is the beauty of the community. We know baselines. We know like, Hey, normally this person's behaving this way, but you know, and I see them at the range all the time, but today something seems off. And that, again, that's, we talk about situational awareness all the time. Like, Oh, that person seems like they've got something going on and maybe they're a threat. Um, but really there are threats from within and, and we can say, um, Hey, I, I am going to go over and talk to my friend in the firearms community and I'm going to make sure they're okay and make sure that they, uh, you know, if, and, and, and maybe even ask that hard question, I'm just wondering, are you thinking of taking your own life? And then ha- and having that conversation um, to say, you know, that there are resources available. Can I go with you to, to help get help for you? What would work best for you? So that's a big part of, of the training that we, that we encourage. You know, and just talking to somebody is, is incredibly therapeutic to the other person. I mean, there's one thing that, uh, that Ghost Tactical always says in his podcast is, you know, go talk to somebody. If you see somebody having a problem, go talk to them because you might literally be the only person that, uh, that that person talks to that day. Yes. And that could be the difference. It right really there. could. And how good does it feel? Like people say, oh, I'm worried. About, I might put a bad thought in that person's head. But how good is it? does it feel when you're having a tough day and your friend actually notices? When yeah. you know, we notice when people notice, like if you get a haircut, right? Like you might look in the mirror like, oh, I feel really good. <laughs> and <laughs> you know, like, or, or whatever it is, I have a new shirt or whatever it is. And by the, by the way, I have, I do have my, uh, the girl in a gun conference shirt. I love this shirt, awesome. it's so cozy. <laughs> um, but you know, we, we notice, we, we notice when people notice like, hey, yeah, five people complimented me on my cool shirt today. Or we notice when people don't notice and that can yeah. really hurt. And so, and so we have to understand, like, if a person is suffering and they and people don't notice and they don't act or they do notice and then they ignore that person or they don't treat them in a compassionate way with dignity, people notice that too. So really, you know, we can put all these fancy terms on there like QPR and suicide prevention and blah, blah, blah. But at the end of the day, it's about treating people as people and loving them. And, you know, there's so much focus on, you know, the gun, the gun, the gun, which, hey, we're in the community and we need to make sure that we have personal responsibility about firearms. But it really comes down to people and caring about the people in our circles of influence and loving them in a way that actually asks hard questions just like we would want for them to do for us and to be noticed when we're having a good day or a bad day. I mean, these are our, these are our brothers and sisters, right? I yes. mean, we are a community. Um, the, the shooting sports is, is definitely a community. Firearm ownership is a community. When we're at a range and we're sitting there talking to someone that's your brother and sister, right? They have the same, um, you know, the same, you know, sport as you, you know, if you're afraid to talk to them, all you gotta do is go up and go, Hey, I like your gun. Right. If you, if you have nothing else, if you, if you know nothing else, you can talk about that gun. Right. Mm -hmm. And then they might relax and then it might lead you into the situation that it's, it's not going to be comfortable asking someone, Hey, are are you thinking about taking your own life? That's not going to be comfortable. But if you can get them to loosen up and it, it may lead into something where you can at least go, hey, at least call the, the suicide prevention hotline, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I got my phone right here. I'll dial it for you. 
Right. And, and I'll stand right here with you. I'll stand right here with you. And, and, you know, it, it'll all be good. Everything will work out. I'm here for you. Um, you know, standing together as a community is important, whether it's right. mental, uh, you know, mental, mental health or regulations and laws. I mean, we all just need to be there for each other, no matter what the situation is. Yes. And, and I can, I can hear because, uh, I hear this a lot. And so it's just in my mind, well, why should I care about this person over here? Like it's just somebody at my club, but they're not my best friend or whatever. I want for it's people being a human. <laughs> it's called being a human. I want for people to recognize that if it's not your day to have a hard day, your day could be coming. And that is a normal yeah. thing to have ups and downs in life. And it is just the epitome of arrogance to think that we don't that it doesn't matter what other people are going through. Um, and, and what I have seen is that people who've had that attitude have, have had that adjusted in their lives in a big way sometimes. And we just, it's, it really goes back to humility and treating people with respect. We want to be respected. We need to treat other people with respect and, and to recognize life is messy and that yeah. there are messy things going on. And you're right. We just be like, well, what's the 4473 care? Think, you know, what does that say? And, and we can get so wrapped around the axle about the technicalities of things that we lose our humanity. It doesn't have to be the business of, of, you know, whatever entities out there, this, when we don't take personal stock of that, and when we don't, um, where we're not aware of what other people are going through, like it, it creates this huge blind spot in situational awareness in our own lives and looking out for the lives of other people around us. And, you know, we always, we always worry about like, um, you know, Hey, can we spot the next mass shooter? That person, it could be us. It could be like, we yeah. don't, we have to respect like people. We are, there's so many stories out there about good people who hit a breaking point. There's a bazillion movies out there, right? About yep. that. And, and cause they're based on real life things. Good people hit a breaking point and something snaps. Let's try to help people before they get to that breaking point. And it starts with us. It starts with that, that I'm going in for arm surgery. How do I uh, make sure that I'm okay? It starts with my best friends going through a messy divorce. How can I make sure that they're okay? Or whatever it might be. My, my, you know, my cousin's child is suffering from a childhood cancer. How can I help them? out, you know, like, and I'm not actually, that's not a scenario for me. I'm just using that as an example, yeah. but, no. um, you know, but we do, we have had illnesses in our family that are really scary. Um, and, and, you know, how many times do we see people are like, Oh, I don't want to talk about that. Cause, um, that's just really awkward. And then instead we're missing out on the opportunity to make a difference in someone's life. That's, that's you know, suicide prevention. And, and that's the whole thing is I, I, I'd like to say to people there is it, it yes, it, it'll be uncomfortable to ask the question, right? But how uncomfortable is it going to be if you don't ask the question and something bad happens? Exactly. Um, that is going to be even more uncomfortable for you for the rest of your life. So it will ask the, ask the question, ask just, the question, just ask it. It's, it's one question. And then, you know, if you don't know how to deal with it, there's a phone number. Yes. <laughs> you know, that's what and it, it, what's the worst phone, case scenario, number. right? Someone says, oh no, I'm not thinking about that. And then you might say, you know what? I, I'm glad because I really care about you. And if you ever are in a situation where um, where you do need to uh, to seek help or to talk to someone, I'm here for you. And that's how you yeah. mitigate that 
get over that like fear of what if I talk to them and the, and it's it's they're rejecting me. And at the yeah. at the at the very least, that person can walk away and and realize like, hey, you know, they were way off here, but they actually cared enough to ask. And that's what I that and they treated me as a person. And and again, we don't want to treat people like a big risk factor walking around, like thinking back to the conversation I had at the USCCA Expo, but. Um, we are instead acting as a protective factor to say, I'm here for you. And I'm here for you when you're having a good day. And I'm also here for you when you're having a bad day. And when you do that genuinely, um, just like our genuine friend, Jordan Monroe, um, yeah. when, we, we, when we act in a way that is consistent with our values and principles, then people know that if we are having that conversation with them, it's because we care genuinely. Yeah. Now we've been going for, about an hour and 15 minutes. Um, I, I got a couple more questions for you here. Okay. Um, what are the goals for Hide My Guns for the rest of 2022? Did you say hide my guns? Uh <laughs> hide, hide my guns, yeah. Sorry, hold my guns. I did say hide my guns. Well, I love it. I, I guess I guess it depends. Maybe, maybe hide my guns would be California or New York. I, oh, I don't know. <laughs> hold my um, guns. Sorry. One of the goals for Hold My Guns is to have a storage location in all 50 states. And what that does is, you know, as we were talking before, like regulations are different from state to state. And I don't like regulations, but they're there and we operate in a in a regulated space for better, or for worse. And so it's important to have um, to consider that it can be an obstacle to gun owners who need storage if there's not um, you know, a location near them, you know, all of a sudden you, you maybe we don't want people like, for example, crossing state lines and then committing a felony because <laughs> they not. have, you know, a high capacity magazine, which is like a normal okay. magazine, right? Um, like a standard ca uh, capacity magazine. Um, so we have to take into considerations that, um, that, that by having a, uh, Gunshot partner in all 50 states means that people have better access to it. We did just announce a fifth storage partner um, recently, American Trailhead, uh, and that was um, awesome. right before that. We and that they're in Georgia, um, and by the way, they're doing phenomenal work. They were just at the We Care Veterans Fair, and they shared about Hold My Guns, and they they heard some beautiful stories from people about surviving um, a suicide crisis, but also stories of loss. And we really appreciate how they advocate for this important work, and that they're part of that. Randall Family Firearms is another one of our storage partners there in Washington, um, and and that was recently announced too. Washington state has heavy regulations about yes. firearms. So um, all of these uh, considerations are things that that we work very hard to um, make sure that our FFL partners are providing the service in a way that, um, you know, technically it meets the letter of the law, but we have to make sure that it's done in a way that um, is it, it removes those barriers, I'm trying to say. So um, anyway, we really can't do that without the support of our firearms community. And um, it's, it is, uh, we are in need of sponsorships. We want to make sure that the mission of Hold My Guns is one that is, uh, gets out there, that gets the word out. Uh, there's a lot of hard work that goes on um, with a lot of volunteer hours behind the scenes to make it possible, but we would really like to just be able to expand. So uh, if people are watching and they um, they care about the mission, um, we ask that, you know, share with with uh, businesses that might want to sponsor or private donors that that want to invest in this and uh, and 
be part of our community because we really cannot exist without those donations. And I would, I would just be heartbroken if we had to, had to stop if, you know, but that's, that's the reality of it. So, um, our goal is to get, get a uh, gunshot partner in all 50 States. And then really after that is met to have, um, have partners in, in all major cities across the United States. It would be amazing for this to be ubiquitous with, um, owning a gun shop that you care about your customers enough to, um, to help them out if they ever need it, which again, it it's, doesn't just save lives and protects property, but preserves rights. So that's, uh, that's one of our goals. And then as we, uh, sponsor QPR trainings, um, our goal is to educate the firearms community and suicide prevention so that, um, we can make a difference in a way that actually, um, is appropriate for our community and taking into consideration, um, you know, it's not just, do you have a firearm, but like, what's, what does that mean? Like, yeah, it's normal to have a firearm. So how do we, how do we interact with, with people in our community who, who carry a gun every day? And what is, what are some changes to baseline that kind of a thing? So anyway, um, those are our goals and I get excited about, about those things. And I love, the support from our firearms community, uh, even in even in our recent brochure, which by the way, you can uh, download this brochure on the link in the bio for all of our social media. Um, there were two photos that were um, that were donated. There's one from uh, from Jeff at uh, USCCA and Delta Defense, um, and and he's a uh, like a video editor over there. He donated the the picture in the top right, and then there was um, Matt Baines from Lobster Media, and and Matt is a photographer for shooting sports. So just even having the support from our community is tremendous. Those are ways that people got involved. Um, so download a brochure, share it with your local gun shop. There's a QR code if you'd like to donate to the cause that's on that brochure, and uh, we really appreciate our community. Now donation. You are a 501c3 nonprofit, yes. correct? So yes. just for those who don't know what a 501c3 is, why is that important? It's, it is uh, a designation for an entity that, it, that cares about the community and that um, does advocacy, but it is done in a, in a way that is non-political. And that was important as well. Um, you know, it's, it is certainly, um, you know, so we can't endorse candidates. <laughs> Um, but that's okay. That's the, the point is, is that it is, it's non-for-profit, which means that, um, you know, it's, we're not necessarily, we're not selling things, but we are advocating for, um, for the community to have something that benefits people. And that is why we chose to go with a, a 501c3, because we want for our community to be directly benefited from the mission and we want for people to be able to interact with it in a way that is very clear. Um, and um, so that's why we chose it. And I'm sure there are other different ways to do it, but I felt that was the best way to pursue that's it. A, that's and the one that fit you. That's the one that fit yep. for us. And yep. what I have found too is that, um, you know, again, like we, we do care about things like preserving rights, but there are people from all walks of life who are gun owners and so um, I appreciate that we have that that common right to be able to defend ourselves and to bear arms. And uh, and that really is the heart of why we're doing what we're doing to save lives and protect property and preserve rights. So yeah. and anybody is going to make a, a donation to hold my guns. 
talk to your tax professional because your donation may be tax deductible. Yes. So definitely talk to your tax professional about that because it, it, depending on how you're filing, you could get a deduction for helping out your fellow gun owners. Yes. So definitely, definitely consider that when you're, when you're looking at making um, a donation to an organization. Thank you. Yeah. And then uh, last question I have for you. Sure. How can, what can people do if there's a mental emergency right now? Like right now, this is happening. We kind of talked a little bit about it. Um, you know, like on that range, I'll dial someone for you. What can they do right now? Right now could mean a bunch of different things. And if you, if there is someone who is actively trying to take their own life, it is an emergency. And that is a 911 situation. If a, if a person is harming themselves or is in the middle of trying to harm themselves, it needs to be treated with that level of, um, of emergency. If a person is in an emergent situation and they um, need firearm storage, they can reach out to us and we can help them connect with gun shops, even ones that might not directly be a partner. But we do have, because it takes time to get all these partnerships going. It so it's it's not that it it's not that gun shops, some gun shops aren't even aware that we exist. So what we do when and we have when people are in need of storage, we start asking in our community, hey, are there any FFLs in this area that could help this person out? And you know, we direct that person to the FFL and say, hey, you know, see if if they can they, they said that they can help you. So um, and we've actually had a few calls like that. So um, that is something that people can do if they immediately need storage is they can reach out and we can awesome. go to the community and do our best to, to help find storage for them. So, so even if you go onto the webpage, cause you have the, the, the finder and there's not mm -hmm. an FFL around you, at least contact the organization to see if there's something you guys can do. Right. And also awesome. because we care and we want, if there is someone in our community uh, who is in crisis, you know, we genuinely care and we will do our best to help to refer you to resources that um, can make a difference in your life. Okay. And I, and I lied. I do have one more question. Okay. What can we do to take the stigma away from mental health? I think uh, that's a good question. Thank you. Um, I think that the the most important thing that we can do is humbly recognize that any of us at any time could find ourselves in crisis and to take that approach when we talk to people um to just humbly recognize that uh so that we're not being judgmental in our own lives and and be like oh my goodness i can't believe this terrible thing just happened to you you know um yeah. but instead say you know what bad things happen to good people we're all in this together how can I help? That reduces stigma. Um, how do we reduce stigma in, um, you know, pertaining to firearms? We are responsible with them and we practice self-governance and we're not relying on other people um, in order to figure out what works best for our, our personal situations. But in order to do that, we have to take personal responsibility and not blame shift. And that's really um, why uh, I started Hold My Guns is because I didn't want it to just be like a theory, like, oh yeah, you should probably go do something about that. You should probably go find someone to store your firearms with right now, but not everybody has that option. So taking personal responsibility reduces stigma. 
and then being vocal in our community to, and even to the outside people outside of the gun community, um, which there are, by the way, a lot of gun owners out there. So it's not, you know, <laughs> a lot of gun owners, <laughs> right? So, so like there really aren't a lot of people outside of responsibility or our community as much as people would like to think, like there are a lot of gun owners out there. It's actually a majority of people. Um, but if you, um, are vocal about that to say, Hey, like our community actually cares about people. Gun ownership is normal. It's normal to have ups and downs in life. And we have a plan, um, that helps to reduce stigma too. And what I found in, um, you know, just hearing from different communities who are trying to solve concerns um, about firearms and suicide or violence or whatever it is, is that a lot of times people don't have a plan. And so they, they just kind of go with whatever seems like it's the most put together plan. And in order to reduce stigma, we need to take responsibility in our community to actually have a plan for things and to follow through with them. Just kind of like going back to the standard operating procedures for ranges and, and gun shops. Like if we don't have a plan, um, then we can't be angry when other people, I mean, we can, but, um, yeah. you know, right. But, but we also, it's very hypocritical for us to be like, why, are the, why do these other people have a plan? Well, you don't have one. And so at the end of the day, what do you have to show for it? So I think, you know, how do we reduce stigma is we actually don't just have a heart for people, but we actually create processes that, um, actually care about protecting rights and that meet people's needs and that and that we execute them in a way where, um, again, back to Jordan, whose personal values um, are consistent in all areas of our lives and that that reduces stigma as well. Awesome. Where can people find your mission? You can find us uh, online on our website at holdmyguns.org. And then our uh, we're also on LinkedIn and you can look up our organization there. Uh, and then you can find us on our social medias at, at holdmyguns.org. So we look forward to seeing you there. And uh, if you follow us, then shoot me a DM and I'll follow you back. And I just love our community and I appreciate the opportunity to talk to people today to talk to you. And I hope that, um, that you're encouraged and, and that listeners, uh, have some food for thought after this, as they usually do from your show. You do a great job. Thanks. And for everybody listening or watching the podcast, I will have the links to hold my guns and the social media pages down in the description below. So that way you can just click on them and go, and, uh, you don't have to worry about just doing the Google thing. So that way we can get you directly over to them. And, and that way you can learn about hold my guns because this is really, I mean, to me, this is a really important um, mission that you're on. Uh, you know, we always hear politicians going, Hey, look, we got to do something about the mental health crisis, man. That's the wrong people to be trying to fix a problem. That is a very difficult problem. I mean, there's not a, there's not a, you know, a, a band-aid fix on this thing, you know, right. uh, sometimes, sometimes it's a gauze pad. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> uh, so, yeah. and the last thing we want to do is, is give certain politicians more, more reasons to take something away from us. So definitely go support the mission because this is truly, um, this is truly a noble mission that Sarah's on. Thank you. And Sarah, we have a couple minutes left. Would you be up for a speed round? 
Sure. Okay. <laughs> rifle or pistol? Uh, rifle. 22 long rifle or 223? Uh, 22 long rifle because that's what we teach at our, our youth rifle league. And that's I, what I love. I kind of... I kind of had a feeling that that's the way that you would go with that, knowing the the whole youth rifle. My my ED my EDC though is a is a nine millimeter shield Gen one. So nice. Yeah. Blued finish or stainless steel finish? Stainless steel. Wood stock or composite? Wood stock. My dad's a carpenter. <laughs> oh, there you go. I love it. Yeah. Plus, there's a lot of trees in Pennsylvania. Yeah. <laughs> um, iron sights or red dot? Iron sights. So for, for secure firearm storage, cable lock or trigger lock? Oh, I use cable locks. Okay. And if you could have any one gun that's ever existed in, in the world. Oh my goodness. Oh. <sighs> Well, I uh, I really love the a uh, the Barrett fifty cal, and somewhere around here I have have around on my desk, and that's like the picture that's on my uh, on my profile. So I think that was if I if I could own that, that'd be really nice. Yeah, that's a, that's on my bucket list of, of guns. Um, you can feel like the force of the the yeah. shot, like it blew my hair back. It was really <laughs> a, yes, this is an immersive experience. <laughs> I'm gonna grab something here. So my wife bought me this one time. So it's solid silver. And what is it? Uh, man, I'm getting really blind. So it's 10 ounces of silver and it's a wow. 50 cal round. <laughs> and she gave, she gave that to me. She says, that's the closest you're going to get to a 50 cal. <laughs> Barrett makes Most, nice firearms. Yeah. Mostly because she knows that the gun is the cheapest part of that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but she, for a special occasion when you're feeling oh, yeah. extra, yes. My my problem with, with shooting a Barrett or, or any 50 cal would be going through my head is every time I pull the trigger, I'd be going five hours, five hours, five yeah, hours. Yeah, that's how many, how many hours of work they have to <laughs> Like, bu -bu -bu yeah, yeah, yep. good times. So, great, thank you so much for coming on. And like I said to everybody in the audience, we'll have the links down below, guys. That was a great conversation with Sarah. I learned so much from it, and there's something that everybody can take away from this. Now, I know there's a couple of FFLs out there in the audience. Please consider this type of service for the industry. If it fits your business model, reach out. See if you can help further this mission of Hold My Guns. Now, mental health means a lot of things to a lot of people. It'll mean something completely different to you than it does to me. Regardless of what it means to you, whether what it means to me or someone else, we need to address this issue. Check out Hold My Guns.
Now I know I screwed up at the end there and Sarah called me out. I screwed up the name of Hold My Guns. I'm sorry, Sarah. Um, she knows I, I've been up since about one o'clock. I had about four hours of sleep that night. Um, I was tired and um, it caught up to me. And um, I do apologize for that, but guys, definitely this is a great organization. It's a nonprofit. Help them out with their mission. Definitely check with your tax professional to see if your donation to hold my guns is tax deductible. If you're looking for worthwhile, you know, agencies or nonprofits or whatever in the firearm industry, this is it, right? This is it. Definitely consider making a donation. Thanks for listening. Hope you're staying safe out there. And I look forward to talking to you again soon.